Good morning and welcome to the Vero Beach Church of Christ online worship experience. My name is Peyton Menzmeyer. I'm one of the ministers here and I'm going to be continuing the identity series that Tracy began for us last week and this two-part series I'll be closing us out before next week when our plan is to be back in the building together. Um, we will still be providing these online experiences. We know there's many people who don't feel comfortable yet coming back um, and meeting in person. So we will continue creating these, but this will be the last solely online experience, um, at least for the foreseeable future. So we're excited for that. Um, and identity. I mean, something of a buzzword these days. Um, I mean, it's almost possible to avoid discussions of identity, be it gender identity or sexual identity or racial identity. Um, and you're hearing it in the mainstream media. You hear it, um, you know, increasingly this idea of identity politics. Um, it, it is dominating decision-making on Capitol Hill. It's dominating our discussions in our households, at work, with our friends. And while this is a very popular to topic right now, identity, it doesn't mean it's a new topic. Like a book as old as the Bible has been talking about human identity. In fact, it talks about it quite often. And one of the very first places that the Bible mentions a, the human's identity, whenever it talks about its um, human's identity as the image of God, like that is our primary identity. That is the ultimate identity, identity, the starting point of all the others, be it um, a parent or a spouse, be it an employer or an employee, be it a student or a child. But the problem is that the presence of sin, it causes us to invert that order. In fact, I would be so bold to say that, that the brokenness of the world is a direct result of us forgetting whose image we have been made in. Justice Anthony Kennedy, many of you probably don't know him, especially our young folks may not know who that is, but he once famously said that at the heart of liberty is the right to define one, uh, one's own concept of existence. Now, with those words, he codified the thought of the average American, right? Uh, like, there is nothing more important to us than answering the question, who am I? And we're taught, in fact, I would even say we are indoctrinated to believe that all things are meant to serve my attempts to discover and to live out my identity, like who I am. Hence, in recent years, societies all around the globe, they've become increasingly individualistic. Like we live in a world of the selfie, of um, I was talking with my neighbor and we live in the world of the you do you mentality and I'll do me. We live in a world where the word identity has been voted as the word of the year. And a person's identity or their particular mode of self-expression, whatever it might be, it has become sacred in the cultural context. Like there's nothing more important, our society says, than allowing people to identify themselves how they see fit. Now here's what's fascinating about this 21st century trend that we're living in, and particularly uh, Justice Kennedy's words, how he codified that statement. And it's whenever you compare this trend with the opening statement of the uh, 1563 Heidelberg Catechism. Now you all know what that is, right? <laughs> if you don't, just join the line of most people who have no idea what that is. Um, by quick summary, uh, the 1563 Heidelberg Catechism, it is a Protestant confessional document 
Um, it takes the form of asking questions and answering them, and it answers them using the teachings of Reformed Christian doctrine. You still might have no idea what it is, even after I defined it, and that's okay. Here's the reason I even bring it into this conversation. is because of the very first question in that catechism. It asks, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer, that I am not my own. Now, isn't it interesting <laughs> that that answer couldn't be any further from the prevailing mindset of today? Like what was seen as freeing and fulfilling back in 1563 is the very thing that is the greatest threat to liberty today. Like if the catechism was to be rewritten today, it might say something like this. Question, what is your only comfort in life and death? That is, what keeps you motivated, inspired, going every day? And the answer, if rewritten today, it might say something like this. That I am my own. That I can be whoever and whatever I want to be and nobody can stop me. So last week, Tracy broke down all of the ways that we self-identify ourselves outside of Jesus. Like all of the ways that we like to answer, who am I, wrongly. Like some of us, we identify ourselves based on government or our political party. Others of us on a certain job that we have or our job performance, how well we perform in that job. Others of us, we have some other means of self-expression that we live by. On a more personal note, as Christians, we identify by our religion, what church we go to. And while all of these things and all of the ones that we've said up to this point, while they're not bad things, in fact, they can be good, they can just be good for a while. Like what we find is that they never last. Like the happiness and fulfillment that these identities they give us, they're always fading. So the question is why? Why are these identities always fading? And Timothy Keller, he, he says it best. Quote, to have an identity is to have something, something sustained that is true of you in every setting. Otherwise, it wouldn't be you. So here's, here's what he means by that. To hunt for an identity means to hunt for something that is going to be true about you in every circumstance you might find yourself in. So if you find your identity in a relationship, what happens when that relationship is no longer a thing? Be it through a breakup, be it through an untimely death. Like if your identity is in a job or your job performance, what happens when that job is no longer an option for you? And then you can just look at us. Like, we are dynamic, changing beings. <laughs> like, our interests, our beliefs, even our strongest convictions, they are all subject to change over time. Are they not? Like, if we try to base our identity in any of these transient things that we have talked about up to this point, we'll likely find ourselves disoriented, lost, unfulfilled. Now, how often have you found yourself defining, being defined by one of those three things? What might it look like to leave everything you know, to leave everybody you love, to follow Jesus? Like, like is following Jesus even enticing enough for you to even consider doing such a thing? 
Those are the questions that haunt me every time I read about Jesus calling his first disciples. And the best place he does that is in Luke chapter 5. So we're going to read two parts of, of those moments just to capture what is happening with the disciples here. Luke chapter 5, let's start with verses 8 through 11. David, I think you have that reading. <clears throat> but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Awesome. And quickly after that, Jesus, he does it again in Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 28. Vicki, I think you're going to read that for us. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. You see, according to Jesus and according to the Bible, everything that we need for a freeing and fulfilling identity can be found in the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible, it tells the story of God coming down to humanity through the person of Jesus Christ to give us a new identity. In fact, not just a new identity, but a better, richer, more satisfying identity than one we could ever provide ourselves. But until we believe that, like until we actually believe that God is going to give us a better identity, until we believe that with all of our heart, we read stories like this of the disciples leaving everything and everyone, and we, we distance ourselves from it. We, we look at it as, you know, as curious, like, well, maybe they can do that, but I can never do such a thing. Like that is for them. That's not for me. But God, he doesn't leave us in our shattered self-conceptions, right? He promises us a new, better identity, but we have to be first willing to follow Jesus. We have to be willing to take that step closer. And when we do, Scripture sums up this profound concept of, of God giving us a new identity using two words. In Him. In Him. Everything that we have, everything that we are, can be found in the person of Jesus Christ. Now here, here's a remarkable statement, so lock yourself in right here. Because <laughs> every time I think about this, it blows my mind. When we put our faith in Jesus and we allow the Holy Spirit into our heart, the Holy Spirit unites us to Jesus in all of his perfection. Not just uniting us by connecting us to it, but through the connection of the Spirit, Jesus' perfection and all of Jesus' merits, they become our own. We are made perfect through Jesus being found in him, which finally gets me to my objective of this sermon. The whole reason I'm preaching this, what does it mean to find my identity in Jesus? Like, what does that actually mean? What does that actually look like? So the fullness of everything God has founded in this world is now found in the person of Jesus. And not just a distant Jesus who has died and resurrected and gone somewhere else, 
but a Jesus who has left his spirit to live in us and is living inside of us. So if we want to make it back to the image of God, what we talked about at the very beginning, like the design we were designed to be, if we want to make it back to that image, we find it and we obtain it through the person of Jesus. This is very abstract and I often lose people here. So we got to, we got to clarify what we mean. What we're not talking about is me doing something to get to God. Rather, we're talking about a God who's coming down here to live inside of me. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians chapter 3. So again, Christ in you, not Christ and you. And once we find the difference between those two conjunctions, Christ in you versus Christ and you, your mind will be blown on what it means for Christ to be in me. Because I have often believed a Christ and you gospel. You have likely believed a Christ and you gospel. It goes something like this. Jesus, he did all of the work on the cross. He was raised from the dead. He gave me scripture. He put me in a church. He pushed me forward. But then it was up to me to work out the rest of my life and the rest of my faith. Like God, Jesus did his part, but now it's up to me through my own strength to live out and work out my own salvation. It's like one of those old time wrestling matches. You know, when you have a, a tag team and one person goes in and they get a couple good hits in, but then the tables turn and they get pinned down and they just stretch out as far as they can to get their arm to the other side of the rope so their partner can just graze their fingertips, jump in and finish the fight for them. And oftentimes, maybe you have seen your faith this way too. Like you think, I'll just do my best. I'll give it everything I got. And when that moment comes that I can't take it anymore, I'm going to reach my hands to the other side of the rope. I'm going to tag Jesus in and he's going to beat it for me. He's going to finish this fight for me. It's a Christ and you gospel. But here's what I want you to hear. That is not the gospel. That is not the mystery that Paul is revealing and talking about in Colossians. That is not what we have been waiting for. Your identity is not Christ and whatever else you want to self-identify yourself with. You are not Christ and a Republican. You are not Christ and a lawyer. You are not Christ and a member of the Church of Christ. You are not Christ and a Protestant. You know, there, there was a time in my life when I was struggling with my faith. Um, I, I was coming to terms that, you know what, I'm just not a good enough Christian. Like, I was, I was seeing what my Christian friends were doing around me, and I couldn't commit to the time and the dedication that they were to reading Scripture or praying daily. Um, I, 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 uh, I couldn't manage my thoughts and my doubts that I had about my faith. I couldn't even do the right thing in every circumstance. And, and so what I found myself doing is that I would be around my Christian friends and I would just act like everything was okay. I would just act like I had this whole thing figured out. I had all of the answers. My faith was rock solid, but then it felt like I was hand, holding on to the end of a rope. Like I was just gripping onto this end of a rope. And maybe you felt this way in, in your life too, or in your faith. Like maybe that rope is your job or your relationship or the religion and tradition that you have been raised up in. Maybe it's your convictions about how you think this country should be run or maybe it's some other way that you identify with. But you're just straining, you're holding on, you're working with everything you have and you're praying, God, don't let me let go of this rope. 
Like, help me hold on because I don't know who I'll be if I don't have that thing as well. And here's God's response to you. Let go of the rope. Let go of the rope. And you think, I can't, I can't let go of the rope. You can't, I, I don't know what will happen if I let go of the rope. And God says, I'll tell you what will happen. When you let go of the rope, you'll finally realize that I not only brought you to me, but I am providing you all of the power you need to continue to walk with me. Like when you let go of the rope of self-trying, when you let go of the rope of self-identifying, you begin to truly understand what it means to be in Christ. So as a conclusion, let's consider how these little words in Christ or in him have a powerful answer to this question, who am I? Perhaps you are feeling unloved and lonely, as many people in the world are feeling right now. And the answer to that identity question for you is the defeatist answer, well, I am nobody. But to be in Christ means to be a part of God's family through the work of adoption. Like you are fully and forever loved and cherished by God the Father. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons and daughters of God, Galatians chapter 3. And just as Jesus was perfectly pleasing in the eyes of the Father, whenever you find yourself in Christ, you also become perfectly pleasing in the eyes of the Father. Maybe you are overcome by a sense of guilt for your sins or your wrongdoings. Like there's many people who are distraught by their misdeeds. Like they resign themselves to a miserable life of regret and remorse. But for Christians, we don't have to live in our shameful past. We don't have to live in what I did. Romans chapter uh, 8, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus, he has already taken the bunt of, of God's wrath on the cross, and now we can receive the blessings of his forgiveness. The perfection of Jesus is now given to us when we find our identity in him. And then there's always two sides to a coin. On the flip side, maybe there's some of us who try to define ourselves by our accomplishments or our achievements in life. All the things that we do really well. We, we try to present this perfect picture of who we are. That we have life figured out, be it on social media, and we try to find the perfect picture in the perfect setting, be it on our political views, that we have it all figured out, we've thought thoroughly through every situation, or be it in our religion, that I have all the answers in my faith, that everybody else is wrong and I finally have figured it out. But as Christians, we can sit back and relax. Like, we don't have to worry about trying to find the perfect answer for our life. We don't have to achieve perfection. It's already been given for us. Like, his sinful life, his righteousness, his unstained merits, they're all given to us whenever we find our identity in him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. I love this verse. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So these things, these in him identities, they just begin to scratch the surface of the riches or reach of our identity that we can find in Christ. So hopefully it whets your appetite 
to find out and discover what your identity actually is. That it's not in what you find in the world. It's not in what your neighbors or friends are. It's not in what you see on social media. Your identity is first and foremost and is fully around the person of Jesus. What does that mean for you and how can you discover that? I encourage you to go read your Bible. Read about the life of Jesus and he's going to hint to you what your identity actually is. And no answer will exhaust the question. So go find your identity. Find it in the life and words of Jesus. Find it in the community of believers. Don't find it in the world. Your identity as a follower of Jesus is in him. Are you willing to leave everything and everybody to find that identity, to claim and be in him? Thank you for joining us for our online worship experience this morning. We're excited to see many of you in person next Sunday here at the church building. But until then, stay safe. And after then, stay safe. And we'll see you all soon. God bless.